hey everyone, welcome to the Eagleburg Church Leadership Podcast. I'm here with the one and only Don Grafham. Hello. Man, you're already doing great. I don't even need to ask you. I I, I can tell you're doing no, great. No, you don't. That's because that's you brought me some Nirvana drink that's already got me hyped up. So you're right, I am great and ready to go. Yeah, and here's the thing. I brought Don a, a coffee drink, which is really generous, thoughtful Very of me. Thoughtful. And um, I got half the amount of vanilla in it because that's yeah. what I do. No. But Don likes all... Of the sugar, Full all speed. of the calories. Uh, absolutely. He wants it all. He's a yellow, he's a seven. If you know what any of those mean, it just means he wants it all. I only know all full tilt. That's <laughs> all I know. Bring it on. <laughs> Are we going to skip the bird? Should we even talk? The birds no, are there. It's too the hot bird, out. It for was the better birds. last month anyway. Yeah, birds, it's, it's too hot. The, uh, yeah, they're, they're gone. They're not as, it's not as exciting They've as They've migrated. It's Is that still, what they do? It's still good. It's just not like it was. Yeah. Let's keep moving. It's, okay, let's yeah, go. Let's it's go summer on. though, and that's a good thing. I do have a birdhouse story to tell Ooh, at some point. Okay. We'll save that for the next I'm one. Looking forward. But I'll tell you, I am really excited for today's episode, as I am for every episode, but truly for this one, because we have something just a little different cooked mm-hmm. up here. Don, I think this was your idea. Maybe. Um, in case it goes south, it's your idea. If it's oh. great, it's collectively our idea. Just kidding. <laughs> uh, today, we are going to unpack four leadership mantras in short little segments. And these are leadership mantras or principles that drive our culture and our own leadership at Eaglebrook. And we thought, let's just share them with our listeners and maybe one or two or all four Mm -hmm. will spark something in your own leadership. Yeah, I love that. We have lots of leadership mantras. You're holding us back to even four today. (laughs) Classic. Just just like the Nirvana. I'm going to (laughs) sneak other ones in there too because we have all sorts of them. And I think we're going to do this another day. But these phrases, let's just think about what this is. They actually serve kind of as a, a rally cry for a team or maybe a sticky principle that is the heart at the heart of a leader. So they're usually short, they're memorable, and we found that there's there's value in repetition. So when you kind of land on one of those uh, mantras, phrases, axioms, let's just use the word mantra for now, when it sticks, just keep bringing it back. And that's something that I've started to use in my leadership. I know you have as well. Now, one thing that we need to remember because you and I have been around a long time, is that we develop these phrases and these mantras, and then new employees come in, and you're using them like everybody knows, and you actually have to redefine them as new employees come in. So it's one of the dangers in great leadership mantras, but I do think that leadership mantras are a great tool for leaders, and and we have a bunch of them today, so we're going to cover four, maybe five or six. But yeah, four. 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 <laughs> so, so let's start with you, John. You get the first one. All what right. is the first leadership mantra you'd like to talk about? Yeah, the first one is this mantra, get scrappy, mm-hmm. get scrappy. Several years ago, I gave a leadership talk to our staff about what it means to get scrappy. And surprisingly, the phrase, the mantra has stuck. Mm-hmm. In essence, it, uh, well, let me pull it back a second. I started my talk at the time with a story of my love for Russell Wilson. <laughs> Not surprised. Russell Wilson, just to give you some context, was mm-hmm. the beloved Seahawks quarterback for many years yes. until he chose to demand a trade out of mm. Seattle to the Denver Broncos. I know, of and, all uh, Do I still love him? I, mean, I do I, do I, I Can say. I still love him? I have Wilson jerseys. My kid, it was, you know, it's sports hero. Yeah. Seattle sports hero. Helped us win a Super Bowl. I don't know. Uh, yeah. I feel very conflicted. Uh, what are you going to do? Are you going to become a Broncos fan? <laughs> no. No. No, no, not that. Oh, I just, okay. Do I even love him or not anymore yes, is the question yes. I need to. Will you cheer for him? Yeah, definitely. <sighs> Anyways, the first week of the season starts in Seattle, Broncos against mm, Seattle. Of all things. NFL. I love it. 
Let's push that aside and talk about You've how never Russell- held back on your love for <laughs> Russell Wilson, just so everybody knows. This is very clear. Here's the thing about Russell Wilson. Yeah. What I talked about is how he would do whatever it took to get something done. Mm-hmm. Whatever it took, he would get scrappy. He never had a good offensive line. He didn't have the greatest arm. He's short. He's not super athletic compared to a lot of these you know, athletic freaks that play in the NFL. But man, he was scrappy. He would do whatever it took to get something done. And then just using another sports analogy, there are times when as a baseball player or an athlete where things aren't going perfectly well. And they rarely do in sports, but you know, there's times where just things aren't going the way that you thought they were supposed to go. So in those times, do you have the ability to find a way to get it done no matter what? Mm-hmm. In baseball, it's get hit. Not get a hit, get hit by a pitch. Get on base, lay down a bunt, <laughs> fight off some pitches, play tough defense. You're getting scrappy. Again, it's not perfect. It's not that massive game-winning home run but it's the small things that add up to big things. We dig down mm-hmm. and find a way to get scrappy. Okay, I like this. How does this play out <laughs> in the world that we actually work in? Yeah, because it's not sports. We're yeah. not professional athletes, although we should be probably mm. in, a, in another <laughs> life. But let me just give you a couple examples of how I unpacked this for our context. For example, we love Easter and Christmas at church mm-hmm. because that's the time that more people come who usually don't come, thousands of people. And in our context, hundreds of these people make a decision to follow Christ. We consider Easter and Christmas to be the Super Bowl, mm-hmm. to be home runs. But getting scrappy is offering people a chance to make a decision to follow Christ on Memorial Weekend mm-hmm. with a smaller attendance, less people there and seeing a few dozen people come to faith. By the way, that's a real example. Mm-hmm. Our senior pastor, Jason Strand, spoke on Memorial Weekend. By the way, a lot of churches are doing online only on Memorial Weekend, or maybe they're having a guest speaker come in, or man, we had our senior pastor speak. He gave a profound message and he offered people an opportunity to make a decision to follow Christ on a weekend, at least in our context, where very few people, fewer people show up and over a hundred people made a decision. Mm-hmm to follow Christ, that that's getting scrappy. Taking opportunity, is it normally there? It's not a home run. It's not you know tens of thousands of people that are sitting in your seats, but it's Memorial Weekend offering people a chance to make a decision to follow Christ. Getting scrappy is that one conversation that you'll have in the coffee shop. Again, it's not the, the home run, the hundreds or thousands, it's one-on-one. In other contexts, getting scrappy might be finding a way to do something in a way that's never been done before. Mm-hmm. Again, it's, it's not, I'm just gonna keep, poking at this. It's not the home run, but it's scrappy. It's small. It's digging down. It's finding a way. It's one decision, one conversation, one action at a time. Now the world celebrates the big moments, the home run hitters, but God celebrates those who get scrappy and do the small things well, even if no one else notices. Yeah, I think that's a great principle. And I've seen that in you. I've seen that in our church. And I I often think that it comes around constraints, too. Like you don't have enough money, you don't have enough time, you don't have enough people to pull that off, but somehow, and I like this word too, grit, you know, yeah. as people find the grit to face adversity and they get gritty to to overcome a challenge or a constraint or a limitation that they have in some way. So that tenacity is critical to great leaders. They don't give up ever and they find ways to get it done. So it's a great way to start us off. Anything else you want to add on no, that No, I would just say this is something we've tried to instill in our culture. Yeah. 
we've tried to instill that when you face those obstacles, when you face those moments where it feels like nothing is going right, will you dig down? Will you find a way? Will you find a way to overcome that adversity? Will you find a way to get scrappy, do the small thing really well, Mm -hmm. even if it doesn't feel like it's adding up, but will you get scrappy and find a way because that shows people have the tenacity to overcome those obstacles. Mm So That's great. All right, second one, Don. What's your next leadership mantra? All right, well, I'll I'll use a story uh, to set mine up. So I had a friend call me, this is a few years ago, to, to meet him for a cup of coffee. Uh, we sat down and he started telling me about his brand new boss. Now, I also knew the boss, so I was a little bit in a middleman position here, but he started telling me about how much he didn't like working for this boss and pretty much any decision that his boss made was a bad one. He didn't like his style, he didn't like his strategies, he didn't like his approach. And I told him to give it some time. You know, it's a new boss. Uh, talk about how you could get on the same page. You're still fi- he's still finding his legs. He's figuring out his leadership style. You're still figuring out how to follow him. Uh, keep working it out. Well, we met a month or so later, same place, cup of coffee, and it was still bad. The, the seeds of bitterness that were evident in our first meeting had taken root, and he continued to grow in bitterness. And I said, man, you, you need to get on board with your leader or you probably need to get out. Like this isn't good for you or for your leader or for the other people that are following you. And he did a, he had other people under his leadership as well. And he he said, I think I think I can get over this. I think we can do this. Okay, okay, there's optimism. Well, we met a third time. This is like a month or two later. And we sat down and it was clear that the bitterness was, he couldn't even hide it. I mean, the bitterness toward his boss and even toward his team was was evident. And he was defending it, saying that he had he was right, his boss was wrong. And then it just came out of me over that cup of coffee. I told him, this, this bitterness that you're feeling, you think it's a three, but, but I'm here to tell you it's an eight. And that's the mantra is you think it's a three, but it's an eight. And it stopped him in his tracks. He actually didn't like the phrase and he kept justifying it, telling me why it wasn't that bad and the approach he was taking uh, was justified and he was optimistic that it was going to get better. But I'm telling you, this is worse than you think, is what I was trying to tell him. Mm-hmm. And he was having a hard time resonating, resonating with that. And, and I've started using that phrase, not a lot, but with some regularity that you think this is a three, but I'm here to tell you it's an eight. And just to play that into some other settings, I think... I, this is a controversial topic maybe to some degree because I don't think that leaders have a blind spot in their leadership. I actually think there might be a few that have blind, spot, blind spots, but most, most leaders know what their dark side of leadership is. They know what their weakness is. And so somebody might say, yeah, I know I'm a little too angry. Yeah, I'm a little too prideful, but it's confident. Uh, I'm wrestling with some insecurity, but it's not a big deal. Okay, I'm a little cranky every once in a while. I'm over-eager because I have a great reason to be. I have an inability to hit a deadline. Not a big deal. I offer these other things. Or this is mine, honestly, is I can over-ideate <laughs> or I can do it at the wrong time as I can have I can have ideas at the wrong time. And I had to have somebody tell me at one point in my leadership, like, you think it's a three, but it's actually an eight. And I think we've had that happen throughout our culture numerous times. I think it's a way just to be honest with people. And I think a lot of leaders justify their dark side. 
And a loving person will actually sit across the table from you and say, you, you think that's a three, but, but I'm here to tell you it's an eight. Yeah. You, you actually understated this. This, this phrase, this mantra has actually um, ingrained into our culture, mm-hmm. truly. It, it's been really critical for a couple of reasons. The first, as you said, is that most people, most people, not everyone, because you always want to caveat, some people don't know their blind spots, yeah. their dark sides, but most you know, have some sort of awareness, but they don't realize how bad it actually is. Mm-hmm. And so this has really helped us get at um, the dark side mm-hmm. with people, to yeah. say to them, hey, I know you, you have some awareness of it, but it's worse than you think. Because yeah. typically we underestimate how much of an impact our dark side has on other people. We try yeah. to minimize it, we try to deflect, we <laughs> make excuses, or we just we don't have a full awareness of how it's impacting other people. Mm-hmm. And so this phrase has has given us an ability to be more direct mm-hmm. with people. Yeah. I also think it's helped us as Minnesotans. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, good. I don't think this is unique to just our, our culture, our state, but there is something about uh, how something about how we're bred and raised. All this thing. I'm not even you know Minnesotan born and raised, but I feel like I have these Midwest. Maybe it's the Scandinavian in us. I yeah. don't know what it is, but it is hard for us to be really direct and clear. I think it's hard mm-hmm. for everyone, by the way. That's yeah. why there's books called Crucial Conversations and those kind of things. It's it's hard to be direct and clear. But this phrase has given us um, a way to enter into those difficult conversations mm-hmm. with people that yeah. people now can resonate with. Mm-hmm. So I think I think it's had a huge impact on our culture. And you had originally kind of connected this to our previous senior pastor, Bob Merritt, because yeah. there's some history with addressing his dark side mm-hmm. and the dark side with other people that was just important to building our leadership culture. What was that? Yeah, I mean, if you that? follow the history of Eagle Brook for any period of time, especially Bob Merritt, senior pastor, you know, he had a, a moment where he thought it was a three, but it was an eight, and it was really regarding his his anger, his frustration, maybe his perfectionism too. So he would justify that I have a right to be angry about this. It's for the sake of the mission, you know? And I think that's what people do is they justify it using, I mean, spiritual language or good language. And it comes with a good intent, but they've just taken it so far. And Bob was creating a wake where he went and people were feeling afraid. People were feeling, uh, you know, lacking any security to speak up against him. And so he was carving a path that people didn't want to come along with. And eventually, one of the board members said, you need to change this or you can't keep working <laughs> yeah. here. And so they put him through a full 360. Mm-hmm. And you know, again, people that have followed his story know about that 360. He still reads that to people to this day, talking about what a life changer that was. Mm-hmm. Essentially, somebody told him, you think it's a three, but it's an eight. They didn't use that exact phrase. But that was bringing that reality to somebody that any leader listening to it, to this you probably have a dark side. Do you know if it's a three or it's an eight? Yeah. And do you have a friend that would tell you, I'm sorry to tell you, but it's an eight. And it can be any topic, you know, of missing a deadline, over-ideating, crankiness, moodiness, perfectionism, anger, uh, humility, all those things is that somebody needs to put the mirror up to you and let you know that you think it's a three, but it's an eight, and I want to help you be a better leader. Yeah, what often happens too is that it's it the the person who's receiving this or has the dark side, they're hovering here thinking it's a three, and okay, I can work through it, even if it elevates to a four or five, no big deal. Mm-hmm. What happens is it goes from three to 10. Mm-hmm. Their job's over, yeah. their career's over, 
they did have a moral failure. Something happened. I mean, how many situations do we read about in the church where people kept it at a three? No one said it's an eight, and you're really close, buddy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah. it went from three to 10. Yeah. So it's also doing a disservice to that person mm-hmm. because they need to be told how close they're actually, you know, they actually are to that cliff. Mm-hmm. And if we're just back here saying, no, you're fine, keep walking, keep doing your thing. I mean, it's, you know, it's a problem here. We need to, mm-hmm. oh, but you're doing great. When really everyone is understanding that we're at an eight or nine here, mm-hmm. um, it, it just does a disservice to them. Does does a disservice to the church, organization, business you're a part of. Yeah. Um, people need that clarity. Right. They need it. Yeah. And uh, and looking back to my opening story about meeting with that guy with coffee, you can imagine how that ended. He's no longer with us. Yeah. He did choose to resign after some some bumpy bumps in the road. Uh, and I wish I would have said that to him earlier, and I even know the supervisor would have said things more directly too. I think we all sugarcoated, mm-hmm. and I can be a sugarcoater, and I, I'm not a yeller either. So I'm not. Some, somebody might not even know that I'm unhappy with their yeah. work. Well, and you almost never get visibly upset yeah. too. You so don't really is- wear it on your sleeve. You're yeah. Pretty even keel. So, and that's true for a lot of people listening, yeah, and they have a hard true. time expressing, "No, I'm really disappointed," or "This is this has to change." Yeah. And this phrase just might help you. Yeah, it's great. So, well, let's keep moving. We could spend a lot of time on that one, but let's let's go to your third okay. mantra that you have. Just to recap, get scrappy. Yeah, you think it's a three, but it's an eight. The third one is, and this might sound like we're taking a hard left turn because we were just talking about clarity, but the the mantra is, "I might." be wrong. Again, mm-hmm. I mentioned this, we're Minnesotans, so we're naturally self-deprecating and we're understated. But this phrase, I might be wrong, has been critical to our leadership culture. It's closely connected to humility. And I would say that humility is the key ingredient of our DNA, our leadership DNA. So what does it mean? It means when presenting an idea or feedback or answers to questions, almost every leader here listening or you know, in our culture certainly will usually say at, at some point um, this phrase, I might be wrong. Mm-hmm. Why? Well, for one, they, they might be wrong. <laughs> they Go might figure. be. I mean, almost every decision in leadership has multiple answers and solutions. I find on any given day, there are very few 100% concrete answers to leadership issues. The majority of the time, there are several options and solutions. So we don't pretend to have all the answers when there are actually multiple answers to a problem or question. So we often lead out with, I might be wrong. Yeah, I love this. I think this is such a huge tension breaker. You know, And the opposite of this is if a leader comes in and every time they say something, they act like it is the right answer and there's no room to talk about it. And there are certain leaders that just carry themselves with the this is the way it is kind of spirit. And that's a hard person to work for because you're fearful of bringing something back against that. So just by that phrase, I might be wrong, is a huge way to enter discussion and allow people to be a, a team with you. Have you seen any dangers with using this phrase? Yeah, I mean, definitely. Um, Sometimes, and we all know this, but leaders need to be certain and clear. For always walking around saying, well, I could be wrong. I mean, what do I know? I don't know what I'm talking right. about. People may not know when to trust us. Sometimes people really do need clarity and certainty. There's a confidence in that. And by the way, 
at least in our culture, and I would assume this is true of most leaders, most leaders are confident in who they are. They are confident in decisions because they're leaders for a reason. Mm-hmm. They're often just to use all the personality types and all the things, you know, they're often red, they're often, mm-hmm. you know, threes, they're all, they've got command and belief in their strengths, you know, they just know for certain what the answer is, or at least they feel that certainty. But there's still a greater confidence in leaders who are willing to admit they actually don't know for sure, but here's my best attempt at it. Mm-hmm. So it's been, it's been crucial for our leadership culture. Yeah, you're right. And I, I do think, again, just allowing people to just crack the door open so that others can sneak in there, say, maybe there's a different way. <laughs> maybe there's another solution to this problem. And you just start, now you're getting the best ideas to the table. If you shut that thing down as a leader, and even if you don't say the phrase, I'm right, but yet you carry yourself in that way, it just shuts down conversation. And this is just a way to open that up. Now we're all in this together. Let's bounce this off each other. And I just think it's a a golden phrase. Yeah. I mean, Paul writes in Philippians 2, uh, verse 3, says, in humility, value others above yourselves. And there's just a certain principle at work where humility is seen as valuing the thoughts and opinions of others even more than your own. And and you said this, Don, but people in our culture who always have the right answer, they're just not, they're not open to other people's thoughts and opinions. Mm-hmm. They're lacking humility. But in our culture, when they when they do operate with humility, they're actually given higher levels of leadership and influence. I know that seems counterintuitive, like, well, if you had more answers, wouldn't you be given more responsibility? Mm. But our leadership culture ends up elevating people who admit they don't have all the answers. And that in turn helps them become better leaders because they actually, here's the other thing, sometimes people don't really truly value the opinions and thoughts of other people. They're just saying this, but you can you can kind of see it in their tone, their posture. Mm-hmm. I might be wrong, but they really mm-hmm. know they're right. Yeah, you right. have to really believe this. This isn't like a just a phrase we use. You have to really lean in and say, gosh, I might be wrong. Don, what do you think? Yeah. Because people can sniff out right away when you're just asking to like mm-hmm. be perceived as humble or wanting to hear what they think. Yeah. But Don, you really do do this well. I was thinking about this. Like if you err on one side or the other, you're someone who actually probably says, I might be wrong too much. Yeah. Yeah. I did. Yeah. <laughs> and there's some there's some issue with that. I mean, how mm-hmm. have you worked through that over the years? I mean, I've received lots of emails from you that's like got this well thought out answer <laughs> and then it ends with like, but what do I know? What do I know? That's my <laughs> and then favorite. Sign off like, well, what do you know? You got a very thought, thoughtful answer. So, I mean, how have you worked through that in your own leadership? Because yeah. you do have strong ideas. Yeah. So I sense some, you know, you're a type of leader who does have answers, you have solutions, you're thoughtful, you're always thinking of, but you do balance maybe saying it too often. I mean, how have you how yeah. have you worked through that over the years? Well, thanks for for saying that. But you're right. It is like all too common sign-off for me is what do I know? Don, you know, <laughs> that's like the finale of a great email, which is terrible. And again, I'm a sugar coder, like I said too. And I've just learned, especially with this position, the need for clarity, but not shutting down the conversation. So you're, I mean, you're right. This is a great balance, even for leaders to talk about after they listen to this, is how well do we balance that I need to be strong and I need to be clear, but I also always want feedback and I want you to be engaged in this decision. I don't want to. I'm not a cowboy trying to make a decision by myself. Yeah. And if I come across that way, or if you work with a leader who's just always, you know, right, that's frustrating. I think we all want to be a part of team play. I'm very big on collaboration and bringing people in. But 
at the end of the day, people also want clarity yep. and some confidence and backbone. Yep. And so working that balance is a critical part what every leader needs to search out. Yeah, I, I just want to brag on our current senior pastor for, mm-hmm. for a moment, Jason Strand. I, I think he does this so well. I've worked with him in some context for many years, and I think he's actually more wired to be certain of his answers and solutions. Mm-hmm. He's very smart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's very gifted. God has anointed him in, in many incredible ways. So he often does have the answer, mm-hmm. but I have seen him work so hard at slowing down so that um, he can he can portray, and he's genuine with this, this idea that he hasn't quite arrived at the answer. He mm-hmm. genuinely wants to hear what other people think. And he's done that so well, especially in this last two and a half years of chaos and mm-hmm. all the kind of uncertainty that he's had to lead through. Um, as he's approached each one of those decisions, while he might feel some sense of certainty around it, he does a great job of slowing down enough to hear from other people, to value their opinions. He changes his answer too. Mm-hmm. I think that's a, that's a sign of a great leader. He might have set out on a course where he was very confident that this was the way to go, but after enough dialogue and feedback, he will pull back and say, yep, the group is right, the consensus is right, let's head this direction. Mm-hmm. And that's an admirable trait, and that's mm-hmm. not easy. That's swallowing your pride, showing humility, showing like, I might have been wrong on that one, mm-hmm. so let's go this direction. And I just yeah. really admire that in him. Yeah, I agree. I remember a couple COVID decisions where he was boldly leading forward which and he I, needed to he needed at times. You yeah. needed to. Yeah. And I remember at one point him saying, I'm wondering if I'm the only one thinking this. Like, if you guys aren't all on board with this, I'm going to surrender my position. Said, yep. And we actually supported him. We said, no, we, we, we just have been a little more quiet. You've been a little more bold. <laughs> but I mean, I really do think he yes. is seeking input and willing to adjust to it, which does, again, show his humility. And uh, finding that fine balance is always... A helpful part of leadership. You're yeah. always good with me too, because you you say I bring out the red in you, because you just tell me no, we're not. Doing it. <laughs> you true. have no problem just saying, no. <laughs> That's true. That's true. I throw my ideas at you, and you're like yeah. nope, nope, yeah, nope. Terrible not that idea. One yeah. <laughs> and you're very gracious with that, but I think we just have a long enough relationship where I can just well, tell you no or yes right away. That's, that's pretty true. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fourth yeah. leadership mantra, Don. Why don't you take this one? Okay, this is called leaders approach their day with a therapist mindset. No, this one needs some setting up, and it might not roll off the tongue like the other ones do, but I think it's so critical. And honestly, this one's like six months old for me, so this one's pretty fresh. Uh, But I I don't like to say this much, but I have two master's degrees, and the reason I don't like to say it is because I don't like school. Oh, master's. (laughs) He has two master's degrees. All right, let's put that on your bio. Well, that's the funny thing is, I'm like, (laughs) whenever anybody in high school finds that out, they're like, there's no way, because I never liked going to school. I'm not an academic type, so I just kind of slugged it out. But one of the degrees is in counseling. And so I did go through there. I was a therapist for a year in having to do that. And by the way, I realized at the end of my year as an intern, I'm never going to do that again. But... (laughs) But here's what I took away. One of the takeaways from from being a therapist for a year is that you don't come home for dinner at 5.30 and say, I met with six people and they all had problems. I can't believe it. I'm so exhausted. What in the world am I doing? This world is falling apart. Like a therapist doesn't come home at the end of the day and say, like, I had problems all day long. The place is falling apart. They realize that problem solving is at the core of leadership. Oh, and it's their job. Oh, and it's their job. But <laughs> right. that's exactly the point, is right. that that's what leaders do, is they solve problems. 
And so if you think you're in a leadership role and you're not going to be solving problems, you're probably in the wrong role. I hate to say it, but I think that that's a sobering reality is to realize that problem solving is a part of leadership. And what I've realized is that the, the leaders further up deal with more gray. So things that can get solved, people figure out before it gets to us, but what comes to us is usually it's murky, it's gray, it's emotional, it's complicated. Mm-hmm. And sometimes uh, somebody's career is on the line. Sometimes a whole team dynamic is on. Sometimes a decision about attenders or a service or, to be honest, millions of dollars mm-hmm. can be a part of decisions that you and I are a part of. And that's daunting. Yeah. But if, if we come in with a therapist mindset and say, okay, it's not, am I going to have a problem? It's what will be the problems today? How do I solve these problems I actually think I found for myself, and I can't say this for everybody, but it actually energizes me. Yeah. A therapist comes in not exhausted, thinking like, oh my gosh, another problem. They think, I get to be a part of someone else's problems, yeah. and I'm going to help them do the best that they can to solve their problem by bringing the best of myself to that problem. And so when you and I get problems that we can't figure out, we, we give them to our boss. Yeah. <laughs> we say, Tyler, now you can figure it out, because we couldn't figure it out. But this is another, I told you I'd sneak these in, another leadership mantra I think this PJ Flex said this, but leaders eat problems for breakfast. He's the coach for the Minnesota Gophers, but I'm not sure if it's his phrase or not. But I actually love that, and I've said it a gazillion times in the last year, really through COVID. Leaders eat problems for breakfast. That's what we do as leaders. And as you do that, your bandwidth grows. You continue to get better at uh, leadership problem solving. Don't be afraid of it. Don't be intimidated. Don't be exhausted by it. Move toward it and solve problems. Leaders yeah. solve problems, they have a therapist mindset. Yeah, when I'm feeling really salty, <laughs> I often will say in a condescending way to people, oh, why don't you go be the leader? You know, That's I'm, right, you can have it. In my heart, I'm saying that, I'm not saying it, but I mean, honestly, when, and, and this is true of me, by the way, it's, it's probably been true of you, you know, when you sit in different chairs, you often think like, I would do it so much better if I was the leader, and I'm sure that many people would. There's probably, a, you know, dozen people in our staff who could do our job better than we do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but what they often don't understand, and I didn't either until you sit in the higher chair of leadership, mm-hmm. is that the higher up you go, the more complicated and difficult it becomes. So complicated. It is not rosier, it is not easier, it is not freer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is difficult and emotional and murkier and grayer. All the words you use. I mean, mm-hmm. that is absolutely true. And I think what's helped me is you've been you've been teaching me this print. I mean, there are times where I've, let's be honest, fantasized about not being a leader. Yes. Gosh, I'll go do anything where I don't have to lead people and deal with problems mm-hmm. and let me go and just be on a supply chain and you know, yeah. press some buttons so that I don't have to deal with leadership because it's so, you know, just emotionally taxing. Mm. But I'm reminded that this is what God has called me to do. So I'm not yeah. surprised by it anymore. I'm not as overwhelmed by it. I don't come home from my day, like you said, and saying to my wife and saying, oh, what a, you know, what a day. I just deal with problems all day long. Like, mm-hmm. hey, I deal with problems all day long. Yeah, that's what and we that's do. that's part of my job. I got to sort through it. I got to help people navigate through it. Yeah. Um, let, yeah. me, let me ask you this as we kind of finish this one yeah. up. Okay, it's one thing to approach your day with that. It's another to end your day having dealt with all the problems. Mm-hmm. So what are some things you've learned over the years to 
stay emotionally healthy or spiritually grounded. Mm -hmm. Like to deal with, because not only are you dealing with your sin and your problems and your issues, mm -hmm. you're really dealing with now how many people report to you, 125-ish, mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. ish, you know, up through right. you. Yeah. So now you're dealing with the weight of that and the organization and the, like you said, the decisions about millions of dollars and people's careers. And how have you managed to stay spiritually grounded, emotionally centered through that? Mm -hmm. Oh, I love the, the question. I wasn't anticipating that, <laughs> but it's a great question. Uh, one of the things I actually am so grateful for is my 20-minute ride home. Mm -hmm. And... In, an, in a hybrid electric car. Yes, so thank, the, you, you, thank you, thank yeah, you. Yeah, you don't have to turn over to, to the, the gallon, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about that another By day. the way, if you're thinking Tesla, no, no it's not Tesla. We're talking no, it was a car he bought off the side of the road. Man's for fault, his yeah. He did that before the gas. That's so, true, so I was so ahead of my time. We should do a podcast on the brilliance of your I car. I would love that, actually. <laughs> but Birds and, yeah, EV vehicles. But, <laughs> yeah. And, but that ride home is a critical part of every leader's journey. I would say is you have to allow yourself to detach from work so that you can reattach at the most important job you have at home. And 20 minutes to let yourself unwind, and that's not always easy, let's be honest. And I don't do it all the time, and I wish I did it more. But, but having a, a process that you go through to leave work, detach, I mean, think about a good therapist. I mean, how do they not bring those problems home? They're dealing with people at the deepest depths. And I honestly don't know how they do it, but they've had to learn some skills to leave it at work appropriately and then resume the next day. And even for me, one of the most important uh, traits of a strong leader is their morning process. Mm -hmm. And so and the morning process, by the way, starts at about nine o'clock in the night where you're getting ready for the lunch for the day, you're getting the clothes, you're thinking about your workout clothes. Uh, I mean, you put all those things in place the night before. You do? Yes, I do. <laughs> all right. We so that <laughs> you not make your every lunch time, the night before? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's oh, all part of it. So it's, it's, I know. <laughs> but that way you wake up, you're ready to work out, you have things in place, and that morning routine yeah. is a key part of so mental true. health. Yeah. And I, this sounds trite because it sounds like what a pastor is supposed to say. Like, of course, you start with a devotion, you start in quiet time, you prayer. It's like necessary for me and my leadership, especially with a therapist mindset, is I don't know how a therapist does it without God and starting their day in quiet and in God's word and either literally or figuratively on their knees, which is what I do yeah. pretty much every day. This morning I biked, I prayed, I listened to Ephesians on my, you know, while I was riding. And it's just a critical part of what I do. It's how we actually approach the day as a therapist is we make, make sure that we're mentally healthy too. Mm -hmm. And we can talk a lot more about that. But but yeah, the mental health of a leader is critical mm -hmm. and, uh, and managing that both on your way home, your night process, and your morning is a critical part of your leadership during the day. Yeah. Can I add one more thing to it? Because I think that was really well said, and I, w I wouldn't add anything that's more profound than that. But I've found, um, at least leading creatives who are typically younger, you have to have some boundaries in place Yeah. because they, they have 24-7 problems mm -hmm. and issues. Yeah. And sometimes it's not the right time. Now, sometimes I do have to step outside on a, you know, Monday evening or Sunday morning or times like it's not ideal to like be addressing this. I, I totally understand that. That's the job of every leader. Mm -hmm. But there are other times where it's like, this is my Sabbath mm -hmm. or I'm with my family or I'm out to dinner and I'm just not going to lean in or be responsive to someone's immediate, unless there's a life-threatening thing. I get yeah. all those things, but oftentimes they're not majority of the time they're not. I've just found I've needed to set some boundaries. I just had to do that even this last weekend with someone who kind of wanted to 
dump emotionally onto me, um, and it just wasn't the right it wasn't the right time. And so I I very mm-hmm. kindly said, "Hey, that sounds like it's an issue. Can can we talk Monday?" Yeah. Like, oh yeah, definitely we can talk Monday. Yeah. But I wasn't going to address it right then. I think mm-hmm. that's important too because therapists. They have boundaries. Therapists have boundaries. You have, have appointment boundaries. time. Yeah, you got, great. you know, you set an appointment, but no, you can't call me at all hours of the night to, mm-hmm. to process this. And I think yeah. similarly as leaders, you gotta have some boundaries in place. Or otherwise, it's it's going to be twenty four seven to overwhelm. It's a great so, tie into the therapist mindset. It's great. Well, anything else to wrap that leadership mantra up? I want to keep going. Let's do some more. I got a <laughs> exactly. few other. No, I know. Don, you are this the master of why mantras, you cut me off. mantras and <laughs> phrases. Are you done? Thank you. I know. <laughs> See, this is what we do. <laughs> well, you did say. Yeah. And I don't want to offer any promises because we don't plan too far out, but we probably will mm-hmm. do another leadership mantra episode mm-hmm. because we do have a lot of mantras, a lot of phrases, a lot of principles yep. in our culture that are really helpful for for people and leaders. They've been helpful for us. Mm-hmm. And so we will. We'll do a future one. Is that hey, good enough okay, for you? Okay, I feel better now. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> but in this one, we've talked about what it means to get scrappy. You think it's an eight, or you think it's a three- <laughs> But it's really an eight. We've talked about using this mantra, I might be wrong, and then to how to approach each day with a therapist mindset. So we hope that these leadership mantras have been helpful. By the way, if you have some that have been helpful in your context or things or phrases that you've picked up, send us a note. We want to hear about them. Mm-hmm. Maybe we'll apply them in our next podcast episode. But for today, that's all we got. We'd love to hear again some of your own principles, what you have been using and learning these days. So take a moment, maybe subscribe, leave us a review, share them if you get a chance, you know, these podcasts. Share them on social media. That yeah, helps us. Let's go. And helps leaders get better because when leaders get better, the church gets better. We'll see you next time. <laughs>